Welcome to the Have It All Marriage for the Have It All Life podcast, an extension of realmanrevolution.com. My brother, if you're a high-achieving, successful professional man and you've succeeded in providing your wife with a lifestyle that most women would envy, yet she tells you that it's not enough, that she's not happy and she doesn't feel loved, then this is for you. My brother, let's get to the to the core of what the problem really is, because I want you to know that I struggled with this for decades, for like 20 years. I just kept shooting my marriage in the foot over and over and over. And it's because there were some fundamental ways of thinking that I had completely wrong. So let me break it down for you. When you got married, you think that you acquired a wife and she was thinking that she acquired a husband. But what I'm going to tell you is that that thinking is going to lead to the divorce court. The fact of the matter is, while it is very true that she acquired a husband, you did not acquire a wife. You became a husband. Now, how does this play out? Well, if you go back throughout all of history, women depended on men for their very survival. They depended on men to keep them from being raped and shared among other men. They depended on men to be able to go out and hunt and find food and bring it back to her. They depended on men to keep her safe in the middle of the night. They depended on men to get everything they needed for themselves and for their children. This is what is wired into their reptilian brain. And yeah, there's a couple outliers out there. There's plenty of feminists who say, I don't need a man. And that's up in their higher brain. That's in their cognitive thinking. But that's not what drives their gut. It's not what drives their emotions. It's not what drives their, their, their sexual and romantic attraction. Because all of that stuff is happening in the lower emotional center of her brain. So from an emotional perspective, what she expected when she was on that altar is that she was acquiring a husband to keep her safe and, and that you were actually assuming the role of that husband. Now, again, throughout all of history, women were willing to reward the man who kept them safe with a lot of service, with a lot of sexual favors, with, with comfort, with cuddling, with being there, with back rubs, with preparing meals, with raising his children, with keeping the house clean. And again, feminine nonsense aside, there is this wiring in her primal brain, her, the, the deepest parts of her brain that says, if you will keep me safe, I will give you comfort. And we're talking the kind of comfort we want here, brothers. We're talking sexual comfort. We're talking cuddling comfort. We're talking looking at you with the, with the eyes of respect and desire and attraction and appreciation. But at the core of this, there's this part of the deal where you've got to keep her safe. And, and so in order to keep the husband she acquired, she will do her part and what is necessary to give you the comfort that you need to enable you to go out and keep her safe. Does that make sense? And so as we look at this, nothing has really changed since God created the first man, Adam, and the first woman, Eve. Because if you look back all the way to Genesis chapter 2, what we find is that when Adam was given the garden, he was told to tend it and keep it, which really means to guard it and protect it. And then as, as a symbol of male headship, Eve was made from Adam 
Eve was made for Adam. Eve was brought to Adam. Eve was named by Adam as something else in the garden to be tended and kept. And it wasn't very long after that that the serpent comes along and Adam failed as a husband. He did not tend her. He did not keep her. He did not protect her. He did not guard her. He did not keep her safe. And here comes the serpent tempting Eve. And if you look in the original Hebrew, it's clear that Adam was standing right there. Now, I don't know what he was doing, man. Maybe he was on his iPhone. Maybe he was looking at plants and trees and birds and rocks and things. But whatever it was, he was not protecting and guarding and tending and keeping Eve. And, and the serpent was able to weasel his way into her train of thought to take over her, to control her enough so that she would eat from the forbidden tree. And of course, we know the story after that. What happens? God comes, they're hiding, and God's like, well, did you eat? Yeah, and why? Well, because the woman that you gave me, so Adam can't even man up and take ownership of his own failure. He wants to blame the woman. He wants to blame God. Next thing you know, they're kicked out of the garden. What does God say? He says, okay, outside the garden, this is the way it's going to work. Eve, you're going you're gonna to have massive pain when you deliver children. And Adam, you're going to have to work your behind off by the sweat of your brow just to be able to eat. And, and, but in between those two curses, there's something that a lot of people don't say. What they don't say is that, that Eve is going to have a desire for her husband, and her husband is going to rule over her. Now, when I first read that, I was in a bad place and I was thinking, if anything, those two things are opposite. She has no desire for me and she's ruling over me. And I didn't understand it. But that night I went to sleep and God gave me a dream. And in that dream, I was on a train and that train was taking me down the tracks. And, and as I was going down the tracks, I noticed that I was the engineer, that I was the one driving the train. I had all these levers and dials and switches and I could make the train turn. I could make it stop. I could do a 180. I could take exits off of the train to other tracks. But, but, but my wife was nowhere to be found. And then all of a sudden, I noticed that I heard her voice in my ears and I had a headset on and the headset had a wire that was going back behind me. And you know how dreams are. In the dream, I was able to float above, fly above, rise above the train. And I could see that my wife was on a passenger car bolted behind and that she was sitting up on a tower and she had a telescope. And from her perspective, she could see way down the tracks. And what she saw is, is as dreams go, then I could see what she saw, what she saw was she saw that the train was going to go over the cliff eventually and that she didn't feel safe. And so she was telling me to turn the train around, to stop, to back up, to turn left, to turn right, do a 180, slow down, take one of the exits, anything, but just don't take her off the cliff. And, and the next thing you know is I saw my kid strapped to the front of the train. And what that really kind of symbolized for me is that if this thing goes over the tracks, you know, I may survive it. She'll probably survive it. The ones who are going to get hurt worse are the kids. And all of a sudden, I understood what God was trying to tell us in Genesis 3.16. The fact of the matter is, as the man, as the as in male headship, as the leader, he gave me the tools, the levers, the dials, the switches. He gave me the ability to take this train where it needs to go. 
and he did not give that to Eve or her descendants. The tools and the gifts that he gave to Eve and her descendants were the ability to see when I was messing up and to let me know. In other words, to push against me. And again, in the original Hebrew, when it says God is going to make you a helpmate, in English we lose so much in the translation. In the original Hebrew, it says a helper against you. This is the, the marriage even before Adam neglected her, even before the serpent first entered Eve's brain, that God created Eve to be a helper against Adam. What does that mean? It means it was an adversarial relationship. Why? Because left to our own as humans, we're going to wander off into the wilderness. We're going to follow things that we shouldn't be following. We're going to take paths that are going to make us not end up hitting the mark. And outside the garden, brothers, let me tell you, it is a it is a small needle, that needle that Jesus said the rich man has to go through in order to find the kingdom of heaven. Well, the hole isn't very bigger if you're not rich. And so we've got a tiny little hole to get through in order to get through this life the way God wants us to. And without somebody to keep us in check, somebody to keep us in the lines, between the lines, coloring inside the lines, we're not going to hit the mark. And so God gave us this adversarial partner who he joins us up with, who he picks for us. We might think we picked her, but he picked her, who he picks for us to push against us, to keep us on the straight and narrow so that we're going to hit the mark. And we're supposed to push up against her and she's supposed to push up against us. And so in this relationship, we're the ones who can drive this relationship, lead this relationship, craft and shape this relationship, build this relationship in the direction it needs to go. And society tells us the opposite. Society tells us we don't understand emotions. We don't understand women that if there's going to be an emotional relationship, she needs to lead. And we abdicate that duty, that solemn obligation and that responsibility that God gave us to lead our wives. And so in that space, we don't, you know, we don't understand this. Society has completely erased this from our brain. We think that we're like two equal people. We got married. There's a piece of paper. It says you're not supposed to cheat. It says you're supposed to submit if you read your Bible. And all I got to do is love you the way that the way that Jesus loved the church. Yeah, well, good luck with that, man, because how many guys actually read it? Number one, or understand it. Number two, or know how to implement it. Number three. And so you go off in this marriage and sure enough, you start messing up and she starts to see that sooner or later that she's not feeling safe. And because she's not feeling safe, she climbs up on her, her watchtower and she looks over the horizon and she sees if something doesn't change, we're going over the cliff. And so she comes to you and she tells you, now look, man, she's probably not very nice about it. How much would we like it if she came to us in a white dress with flowers in her hair, all made up pretty, with a soft voice, with humility and respect and appreciation, falling down to her knees, crying, saying, I don't feel safe. Please make me feel safe. How many of us would, would, would swell our chest up and put on the full armor of God, pick up our sword and our shield and our helmet and our belt, and we would just go out there and make her feel safe? But that's not the way it works, brothers. The way it works is she comes and she says, I, I, you know what? I love you, but I'm not in love with you. Or I feel like I'm married to a child. Or you're a jerk. Or you're controlling. Or I don't like you anymore. Or I hate you. Or I don't love you anymore. Or they say all of these mean things, these horrible things. 
And, and what ends up happening is this pattern begins to develop where day after day after day after day, she lets you know that once again you have failed in the marriage. And you start to wonder, why am I not ever enough for her? Why am I not good enough for her? Why doesn't she love me? Why can't, you know, I love her so much and all I want to do is make her feel it. And yet every time I turn around, I am failing her. And as a man, we can only take so much of that rejection. And so what begins to happen? What begins to happen is we go one of two ways. We either go into the rage in the cage, monster comes out, shut her down, I've had enough of that, and I'm going to make her stop. Or we go into the, oh, poor me, I'm a little boy, I'm a victim, and mommy doesn't love me anymore. And there's no middle of the road, man. You're either, you're either the monster or you're the little boy. And I'm going to tell you, there's a little boy driving both of these behaviors, but the, the monster is covering it up on one side and the little boy is, is, is not ashamed to be a little boy on the other. And so here she comes again, months, years, maybe decades later, around the corner with that look in her eye, with that tone in her voice that once again, you have failed in the marriage. And, and when, when that comes in, when that soaks in, and it only takes a split second, like a, a nanosecond, a thousandth of a second, like you feel it in your gut. You feel it maybe in your stomach. You feel maybe this spark or this spark behind your heart. And, and, and this energy starts coming up and it rises up. And you know in that instant that the next thing that you're about to do is the absolute wrong thing. Either that monster is going to come out of the cage. You're going to put bass in your voice. You're going to raise your voice. You're going to argue. You're going to make her the bad guy. You're going to try to shut this down or you're going to crawl up into the little ball and you're going to be the victim because mommy doesn't like you anymore. And either way, man, a hundred times out of a hundred, you're going to resort to one or both of those behaviors and you're going to drive another nail in the coffin of your marriage. And does that sound like you, brother? Is that, the, is that the pattern that is repeating in your life that time and time again, here she comes around the corner letting you know you failed in the marriage. All it takes is that look. All it takes is that tone. She doesn't even have to come around the corner. You just know it by the way she says your name when she's two rooms away from you. And it's because there's a piece of rice on the counter or because the toilet seat was left up or who knows what number of thousands and thousands of ways that you can fail in your marriage. And inside you're like, I don't get it. I'm a good guy. For the most part, for, for years, for decades, I was faithful to her. I went to work. I made money. I brought home the buffalo. I laid it at her feet. I offered it to her. And it's like, you know what? I'm home every night. I'm not in the bars. And, and yet, what is it about me that is so bad? What is it about me that is failing? And brother, what I'm going to tell you, what it, what it is about you that is so bad and what it is about you that is failing is that when she does her God assigned role of pushing against you, of being that helper against you, of being that adversarial partner, of trying to keep you on the straight and narrow, because she knows that if she does not feel safe from you, that that opens the garage door for Satan to come in with a megaphone under her, over her flesh, telling her, you're not safe with him. 
message your old high school boyfriend. Try to get an emotional connection. Maybe dress a little bit better because that guy you see every day when you're dropping off the kids at school, he obviously notices you. Maybe change your hair. Maybe do your makeup a little better. Maybe lose some weight. Maybe you should go back to work or try to advance your career or go back to school. Maybe you should start preparing for an eventual exit because you're not safe with this man and you're losing feelings from this man. And every time you try to tell him, he either blows up or he crawls into a ball, but he can't handle it. And therefore, long term, you're not safe. And because of that, the feelings are shutting down. The romantic feelings, the sexual feelings, they're burning out. And every time you try to tell your man, your protector, your leader that this is happening, he crawls into a ball or he makes it unsafe or maybe he actually gives it lip service, but he can't pull it off. He's not the man you need. And she's been trying to tell you this stuff. And no, she's not nice about the way she says it. She's not nice about the way she says it because she can't be vulnerable with a man that she doesn't feel safe with. Man, man, you, you got it all backwards. And so because you're not making her feel safe and it's not productive when you have conversations and Satan has that megaphone, she is pushing harder and harder and harder and harder for you to man up, for you to grow up, for you to be the man who she needs, who can keep her safe. And the problem is, my brother, you can't hear it. Because a hundred times out of a hundred, you either crawl into a ball, you rage all over her, or if you manage to walk down the middle of that road and actually be somewhat calm, cool, and collected while she's having that conversation, you can't pull it off. And she keeps seeing the same pattern like a dog returns to its vomit. And so if you want to know why your marriage is failing, this is the reason. What she needs is a man who can actually hear it, who can actually absorb it, who can actually fix it. And the problem is, as men, we are incapable of doing that because society has literally programmed us and trained us not to be that kind of man. And so I don't know, man, but I just have this strong feeling that if God were here right now and he were looking at you and he were looking at your wife, he would look at her and say, well done, good and faithful servant. You could be a little bit nicer about the way that you're trying to be the helper against him, the guy who, the, the woman who's trying to keep him on the straight and narrow. But, but overall, you're doing your job. Overall, you're succeeding in the marriage. And, and, and now looking at you, my son, I trusted you with my daughter and you have failed her. You have failed to be the man. You have failed to be the leader. You have failed to be the warrior. You have failed to be the king that she needs in order to keep her on the path to the straight and narrow. And in the same way in Ephesians, when, when, when I told you that you're to love her the way Christ loved the church, that even though she's going to go to heaven despite the sin that has entered her life because you have failed to tend and keep her no different from Adam, some of that suffering, some of that punishment, some of that disappointment that I have for her is now transferred to you because I trusted you with my daughter and you have failed her. And so this concludes the reason, the lesson of why your marriage is failing. 
And in our next lesson, we're going to talk about what do you do about it. All right, gentlemen, as always, if you want more information, head over to realmanrevolution.com to register for my free training. Or if you've heard enough and you want to book a call to see if what we teach could be the turning point in your marriage and therefore your life, then head on over to haveitallmarriage.com slash apply. Haveitallmarriage.com slash apply. But gentlemen, know this. This is not for everyone. You must be a high-achieving, successful, professional man to apply for a call because we are going to leverage the skills you have already built that you have acquired through your blood, sweat, and tears in order to achieve the success you already have in your professional life in order to achieve the have-it-all marriage and the have-it-all life as quickly and as efficiently as possible. So gentlemen, I look forward to seeing you on the call.